0: What is up, ladies and gentle nerds? It's your boy Graham, also known as HamHawks42 on the internet, and today we are back with another edition of Overthinking MTG, and today we are going back to our standard format where we are looking at a random magic card and talking way too much about it. So let's go ahead and go over to Gatherer. I have not seen this yet. I'm going to go ahead and click the random card button while we are, while we are here. All right. And uh, the card that we are looking at today is our Gothian Enchantress. Alright, so it is a 0, 1, 4, 1 generic, and a green. Summon Enchantress. Um, and our Gothian Enchantress cannot be the target of spells or abilities. Whew, that's awesome. And then whenever you successfully cast an enchantment spell draw a card. So, if I'm not mistaken, this is the original Enchantress, um, which has actually become an archetype, especially in a lot of casual formats. Generally, the idea with an Enchantress-style deck is you want to cast as many enchantments as you possibly can, um, and each time you cast an enchantment, you draw a card. There are a number of other Enchantresses out there. It has become kind of a slang phrase. are gonna become one of the common magic terminologies that you hear bandied about. And it's it's one of those. And so when you hear people say enchantress decks, this is the card they're talking about, or similar cards like it. I believe there's a Yabamaya Enchantress and a Viridian Enchantress. Um, there are a number of others where ultimately it has effectively constellation bonuses when an enchantment you know when you play an enchantment um, or when an enchantment enters the battlefield you get a an effect, and usually that effect is drawing a card, um, and that actually, one of the major benefits of that, one of the biggest um, bonuses there is that it allows you to, um, it, it it mitigates the risk of a lot of enchantments that are out there, especially auras, because the biggest issue that um, comes up with auras is that if I take something like and Unholy Strength, which is just it's an aura that just costs one black and the enchanted creature gets plus two plus one. It's just one of those kind of older ones that you see in like some starter sets. Um, it's just kind of like this is how auras work or this is how enchant creatures work if you're going, you know, the terminology back in the day. So it's just kind of a generic, like you put this on the thing, the thing gets better, yay! But then if you that thing gets removed, you now lose both the creature and the aura, you know, and you don't get any benefit from those, and you're down two cards, and your opponent only had to use one. Well, the Argothian Enchantress here mitigates that risk by putting an additional card in your hand every single time you cast an aura, and so that's really nice. It just, It's just great, frankly, because it allows you to cast auras, and you're refilling your hand as you're doing it, so every single aura that you cast, um, it gives you the cards back, it mitigates some of the risk associated with that, which is just wonderful. And then on top of that, Wizards has kind of recently leaned into auras that have Enter the battlefield triggers themselves. That way they function kind of like spells in addition to giving whatever bonus they gave to the creature when it comes in. So actually this whole series, um, the aspect cycle, like aspect of the manticore, for example, or aspect of lamprey, like those cards have like really impressive enter the battlefield triggers um that are actually the main reason you'd use the card frankly but then they give a little bonus to the to the stat line on the creature as well so you know they they you get the main the meat the main value of that card when it hits the battlefield and then you get like an extra little bonus that it gets to stick around you know meanwhile with old school auras they're almost exclusively designed to Um, Just buff a creature, or you know, give a creature some kind of unique ability or some kind of unique effect, Um, whether that's positive or negative. Because we have a lot of examples, things like pacifism, you know, which is just removal on an aura. And then, but the problem is that could get blown up, and then all of a sudden you're out the removal. But anyway, all that is to say, Enchantress is an archetype for a reason. It is a style that is out there because, frankly, this card freaking rules. It's very, very good. It's very, very strong. and it's just awesome. So there are a couple of things about this card that I, I think are just phenomenal design. So whenever you successfully cast an enchantment spell draw a card, like I was saying, it's just it's so good. The, um, oh, and actually looking at it, so the updated rules text. So the older text says whenever you successfully cast an enchantment spell. And I would have assumed that the way that that would be updated is when an enchantment you control enters the battlefield. Or when an enchantment enters the battlefield under your control. Because when I hear successfully cast, that's what I assume. Meaning that I cast it, it didn't get countered, the spell has resolved, it's entered the battlefield. That's what I assume. That's not actually how it's worded, though. The updated oracle text is whenever you cast an enchantment spell draw a card. So regardless of whether or not that spell gets countered on the stack, you still get to draw that card. Just lovely. Just wow, that's fantastic. Also the fact that she drops for two. It, whenever you have a converted whenever you have the main engine of your deck start off with a mana cost below three, I'm listening. You know, that is going to be incredibly powerful, incredibly strong, and you're going to be able to squeak this into play under a lot of control players. Um You know, if you're in an older format or if you're playing in, like, an EDH game and your opponents have, like, some high-level cards, if you play the Argothian Enchantress, like, your buddy across the table, if they have a force of will in hand, they need to seriously consider knocking this out with that. You know, that is a level of power that is not to be trifled with so that's something to keep in mind like that's how good this card is guys <laughs> um yeah and it's just it's the main engine of this deck it can be anyway it can be in the main engine of its own deck but then the other amazing thing about this so it's a zero one for two which is great because the the stat line needs to be competitive and comparable to the mana costs. and when you get an ability this good if they created the if they put this on like a 3-3 body, this would cost 5, you know, because it would just have to in order to justify that. And in, at that point, you're not in a competitive zone um, that would suffer from what I like to call the Borborygmos problem, where it's a setup piece that you can't get down until late in the game. It's just, it doesn't work well. And when I say Borborygmos, I'm not referring to Borberigmos in Rage. That card rules. I'm referring to just good old-fashioned Borborygmos from Dissension. That card is, n- you know, it doesn't rule. Trust me, I've tried building decks around it. It just doesn't work. Um, but the Argonthia and Enchantress doesn't fall into any of those traps. It's a setup piece that is a value engine, all on one freaking card. As long as you have the right pieces around it, and it drops on turn two. And the best part about it is, it has shroud. It cannot be the target of spells or abilities. So once it's on the battlefield, even at zero one, this thing is really hard to remove. That's lovely. Now. Any wrath effect is going to just absolutely blow this thing up, including something as simple as uh, nausea, where like all creatures get minus one, minus one. Like that would kill this because it's does its toughness is only one and its power is just straight up zero. So that's eh, you know that's not great. Like so it is a very squishy body. Um, however, that's the value you get out of it is there. It's all there. The other thing about it, this is actually an interesting case because it has shroud, not hexproof. Um, hexproof is the modern version that you see a lot where it's not able to be count, it's not able to be targeted by spells or abilities your opponents control, but you can target it all day. Argothian Enchantress actually is in an interesting spot because because it has shroud, which is kind of the OG hexproof, it's not able to be targeted by anybody. And that includes you. So you if you have a bunch of auras in hand and you want to play them, you actually can't put them on Argothian Enchantress, which is gonna make it buffing up her stat line a lot harder. Because all of a sudden you can't just staple a dark steel um was a dark steel plate onto her and just call it a day, or um like an Eldrazi conscription or a classification or any one of these um effects that just cr- just make the body bigger so that she'd be tougher to remove, you you can't do any of those with her. So that's that's an issue. That's something to, to consider, for sure. Um, yeah, in general, actually, there's an interesting debate between Shroud and Hexproof. And i got to say, I lean to the side of Shroud um, from a gameplay perspective. Don't get me wrong. I want, as a player, I want my creature to have Hexproof. I don't want to have my creature to have Shroud, because Hexproof is unquestionably, like, head and shoulders better. Like, by a mile, (laughs) from the player's perspective. But I think from the gameplay perspective, Shroud is self-balancing in a way that Hexproof is not. And so I like that. Um, Although, Wizards has, to their credit, in recent sets, they seem to have... um, valued hexproof appropriately. You know, there are cards at one, two, three that can give trample, that can give um, first strikes temporarily, that can give uh, death touch, you know, lifelink, menace, all that stuff is kind of Really bandied about where you know you can add them at a relatively low cost, pretty easily. And with Icoria, you can even put them on freaking counters and just hand them to stuff. However, Shroud is almost completely gone. You, you just, you, it's just not being developed anymore. They've just moved like everything over to Hexproof. But looking at Icoria as kind of a case study, if you look at it, there's only. What, two cards that actually have the potential to have Hexproof on them? Maybe three. Um, There might be one I'm missing, but one is Crystalline Golem, which every turn you randomly put one of ten counters on it, which, incidentally, I want to point out that um, officially Wizards does not print anything in Black Border that requires a die roll but they have a golem in this set that requires you to randomly select one of ten things I'm just gonna go ahead and I'm just gonna set that right there and let you think about it but one of those things that it could land on is hexproof and so like if you drop that on turn three and it gets hexproof on the first turn you're golden that thing is not going anywhere you can mutate and enchant it for days you can do all kinds of nonsense with it it's great but there's a one in you know, there's only a one in ten chance that's actually going to happen. Meanwhile, the other creature that you can guarantee has hexproof costs six to put down, and you get a three six body for it, and you either get flying or hexproof. So yeah, you can force hexproof onto something, but you're not going to get it till turn six, and so. Okay, cool. Like that's that's that feels fair. Like it's a very good effect, but you don't get it early. Because if you got that early, oh my goodness. Meanwhile, Shroud, like our Gothian Enchantress here, it serves one purpose. It's not easily abused, and it only protects her. That's it. It protects her from removal. And as a result, there's a whole lot of removal that your opponent will want to throw at her that they just straight up can't. And that's pretty freaking sweet. Yeah, anything that targets. So, shocks, lightning bolts, um, freaking terror, <laughs> like, dark banishing, any of those. And, uh, yes, I said dark banishing, not doom blade, because I'm old. Um, but yeah, anyway, doomblade, pets to exile, source to plowshares, you name it. If it targets, it's not touching her, and that's just so cool. And I wouldn't be surprised if there are people who are just sitting there with prodigal sorcerers on board, just being like, so angry <laughs> at that shroud. <laughs> like, I just want to Ping it! Why can't I just ping it? Ah! Yeah, anyway. So, I gotta say, the design on this is fantastic. Argothian Enchantress is one of those. It was originally printed in Urza's Saga, and they got it right the first time. It's just absolutely excellent. The other thing that I want to point out, speaking again of Icoria and kind of the current standard meta, at least as I'm recording this, is... uh, she has been eroded, and so in the original creature type, she was just an enchantress. She was a summon enchantress. Now she is a creature-human druid, and I want to point that out for a couple of reasons. Um, one, as a human, she is an illegal mutate target. Um, that said, she has shroud, so you can't actually target her with this stuff anyway, but if there was some situation in which you were able to remove shroud from her, you still could not mutate onto her because she is technically a human. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, It's not super relevant. Also, she's a druid, and I know there are... A druid is one of those creature types that they just kind of sprinkle in from time to time, so there is some synergy for it, and, like, if you want to be that guy who has the druid EDH deck, you could. Um, There's some, you know, there are enough of them out there, and there's enough support, so that's something like so she, you know she's got a little bit of a uh, little bit of tribal synergies potentially so that's neat but in the end she's a build around kinda of engine and uh, if you're gonna be putting her in your deck you're gonna be building it around enchantments and you should cause drawing cards is awesome that's the other thing if you're a newer player and you're wondering which is more powerful drawing a card or you know doing most other things it's usually drawing a card drawing a card doesn't feel like a powerful move until you've played the game a little while and you realize just how big of a deal it is um and you really respect that um when you or your opponent has stopped drawing cards you know when in in a situation where you run out of gas and you're living off the top of your library a card that says draw two cards on it like drawing a divination late game feels really really Good. So drawing cards is phenomenal. And if you can get a two-drop engine that can draw you a whole mess of cards throughout the course of the game, you want it. It's very, very, very good. And it, it's better than it reads, I promise. And I mean, veteran players, you know, look, of course, this thing's great. You've probably seen it, you know, in in action or effects like it that just force card draw over and over and over again. You hate to see that and we on the other side of the board, because they're just going to overrun you with advantage and all the options. Because the thing, when you have more cards in hand, you have more options. There are more situations that you can work with. And yeah, whoever has the most options, a lot of the time ends up winning the game. So yeah, this has been super cool. Um, Thank you so much for hanging out. As always, you can get this show wherever you get your podcasts, as well as over on YouTube. And you can uh, check me out on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Hamlocks42. I'm over there quite a bit streaming Magic the Gathering Arena. Um, Having a good old time. So thank you so much for hanging out, as always. And I will catch you next time.